Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I have on a guest, Matt Stone. He's joining us and he got invited to the show through responding to a prompt on LinkedIn. So Matt, thank you so much for responding. That's going to be a warning to everybody else that responds to my prompts on LinkedIn. (laughs) You may end up on the Best Boss Ever podcast. So welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Christine. It's it's really a pleasure to be on the podcast. And it's a true warning. If you if you respond to a Christine prompt online, it may put you in jeopardy of being on the podcast. Be prepared. <laughs> That's right. I love that. And can you introduce yourself just for everybody listening? Sure. I've had a lot of different jobs, but you know, almost a decade now, I don't know, it's eight, nine, 10 years or so. I've been leading and now I'm the CEO of a company called Behavioral OS. Its foundation was with an MIT organizational psychologist. What I do and what we do is we work with executives to improve their performance and the performance of their teams through, you know, human strategies, what I call high growth conversations. So focused on relationships, self-awareness, talking about the elephant in the room and showing that soft skills are actually quite hard. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You and I both. Yes. That is amazing. Well, very cool. So I'm going to go right for the kill. So who came to mind when you saw that prompt about best bosses? It took me a minute, but not much more than that. And I was I was thinking about it and I I thought about a woman named Jan Margosian. She's long since retired. She was at the Oregon Department of Justice years ago when I lived in Oregon. Actually, before I even went to law school, I worked there briefly in the consumer protection department or office, I don't recall. And she was the head of all the people who would field consumer calls, basically, complaint calls and concern calls over business improprieties or conflicts or things like that. She just stood out immediately, absolutely immediately. And what came to mind was she was for lack of a better word, she was just a badass, (laughs) you know, nice (laughs) powerhouse woman who, you know, a woman in leadership. So as a, as a man, you know, I was very impressed with the way that she handled so many different personalities and types of people with incredible skill, but she was not, I mean, you, you might say a velvet hammer, there wasn't always velvet on the hammer. <laughs> I mean, she could really hit you hard, but she was very effective for a number of reasons. And I don't want to just blather on. I'd like to know from you what direction to go actually uh, with that. Cause I, too many things come to mind. So yeah, Jan Margosian is my short answer. Right. And so, yeah, I want to hear about this. So walk me through kind of the detail or the story. Like when you see her handling people, like, tell me like, how would Jan do it? Like, give me an example. The word I have to first come up with is authenticity. Now, there's so many words that get thrown around. That's one of them. And then it gets thrown around so much that it loses its meaning. But this is what it means in the context of Jan. What she was thinking, what she was feeling, and what she meant was exactly what she said (laughs) and what she did. So if she was angry with you, 
It was clear that she was angry. What she wasn't doing was telling you that you were worthless. What she was angry about was something that you did. And she was going to then invest her time in correcting, informing, supporting, improving, whatever was called for, she was going to then take that step. And I think that was actually a big differentiating factor. This was a no-shame leader. Interesting. A no-shame leader. There was no shame in her game. She was not out to shame you. She was out to do better, always. So the point being like the the frustration or whatever wasn't directed at you as a person. It was directed at the issue. Never. Right. And so it it still gives you space where you can make a mistake. You know she might get mad about the thing, but it sounds like you personally don't have to be shamed into existence for your mistake. She was so good at communicating in a way that was shameless, in a sense, shame-free, I should say, that being barked at or even yelled at by your boss. Now, I'm not saying she yelled a lot. I don't remember her yelling a lot. But if she raised her voice or she was critical of, of you, and I observed her with others and with myself, I remember not being in fear about anything it was like oh i mean i might have felt disappointed of course there's anxiety but not that fear that i'm not enough that i'm going to be punished somehow that i'm a bad person and not worthy of this job or anything like that it was just that behavior wasn't the best behavior or we didn't get the right outcome and we're going to fix this together and we're all going to learn in the process. And I'm going to support you in doing that. The first sign of support is by being very honest. And by the way, not waiting weeks or months to tell you that it was now. So it was in the moment. This is really interesting. I'm just listening for some of this. So the feedback was in the moment. In the moment. Right. The feedback was also extremely direct. Very. There was a lot of this. We're in it together, though. 100%. We are fixing this together. Yes. And we are going to learn from this. That's right. Very interesting. She was capable of taking on data. So she was usually right. This was a person who had a lot of experience and wisdom. She'd come out of PR, a PR background and some other things. And so, and she was just whip smart. So she, she understood what was going on usually. And at the same time, I don't think I had any doubt that if there were some data that she didn't have, that she would have been receptive to that. So we were in it. It was a mutual respect that we all belong at the table, even if we throw food at each other from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that sounds like that would drive performance. So, I mean, I'm always curious. Obviously, I'm in a very, you know, same kind of business as you are. So when you think of the impact of having a best boss... You know, I'm always getting asked the question around return on investment. What's the impact of working for someone like a Jan? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So there's the impact on the, in that case, it's not a business. So it's a government agency whose business is serving the people in a meaningful way, but it was also serving businesses because better that the agency did in protecting consumers from fraud and abuse, the better that the business community in Oregon would do, that there would be trust in the businesses in Oregon, that even a business that had a complaint, if it's handled well, now that business's brand is actually improved because if the business cooperates and, and 
maybe there's an honest mistake. Business businesses are people <laughs> made up of people who make mistakes. Doesn't mean a complaint does not equal, much like her leadership style, a complaint about a business does not equal a bad business necessarily. It's how they handle it. It's so I think the end result performance was, do we have a better, more ethical business consumer relationship in this state? And I saw direct impact from that. So the performance in terms of you know, our complaints getting resolved, our consumers being protected and made whole when they are damaged in some way. I think as far as an organization, if I were to project her leadership style, if you will, and her skills, it, that almost doesn't do it justice, leadership style. It was deep skill in communication at a human level. I would say if it were a business and you were worried about retention, having a boss like Jan means you're going to have incredible retention and recruiting power because here I am. I mean, how many years later? I mean, this has got to be, I'm looking back now. It must've been at least 25 years ago. I don't, I don't know the exact year. It was a long time ago. And I'm still talking about her using her as a model. When I, when I evaluate other leaders and when I think about my decisions as a leader, I still think of her as this model. So it's hard to really quantify the impact of one person like that, I have to say, I, I think in terms of the lingering brand of that agency and that department for me, even though she's long gone from there, is that I have a positive image of that because of her. So we love data, but stories are data too. I think that in terms of in the brand world, and I've worked in the branding world as well, you know, when you create an emotional positive connection with an entity because of positive interactions with people, it's almost hard to put a value on that. Right. That physical, what that feels like for other people that have this perception of a positive brand. Exactly. So, and I saw it, I saw it with consumers who were complaining and her impact on, on helping them get at least clarity. Sometimes there was nothing that you could do and the best you could do, which wasn't really true because by nothing you can do, meaning you may not be able to make someone financially whole because they were a party to a transaction in which they both had responsibility and the consumer made a bad choice. <laughs> and in that case, what you can do is be compassionate. You can listen, you can give them clear information and not overstep. Sometimes the mistake you make in a place like that is saying the wrong thing to the person, leading them astray, for example. So Jan was very good. Her PR background helped with this, being clear in your messaging. Clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. Yes. Right. So just being very, very clear. And sometimes the resolution was the person's like, I have clarity now that I'm not going to get the money I wanted to get back. And I see my responsibility in it. And I accept the reality now. And I'm glad you informed me. That was a positive outcome, actually. To feel that they were complete with their complaint. Absolutely. I learned this way back my first job out of undergrad for like a pager company when cell phones were coming on. So it wasn't exactly a high growth business. If you know right. what I mean. Meeting my quota every, every month was pretty tough. And I remember the billing person who was this just, I mean, she was the sweetest woman on the planet. And she answered all these awful billing questions. And I remember her telling me how she would handle it. And she would just really listen to people. And she would care for them as human beings about how they felt about their bill. <laughs> wow. And so many times it's the bill that they owed. I mean, it wasn't actually us, you know, they were upset. And so just giving them space and validity that they were upset so often resolved the problem. Wow. 
That's brilliant. Now, when we first started talking, you said that another leader came to mind, a very quick run-in with a great leader. Yeah, he was the vice president of a company I worked for briefly in a startup. His name is Terry. Terry's still active. I might even tag him on this at some point. Terry Revnak, if you're out there, I think he's in California now, I'm not sure. He was really, really incredible. And one of the things that I really respected about him was, again, another clear communicator. He was working in a difficult situation. Terry was willing to tell you what was holding you back. And in my case, it was the way I was communicating with particularly one person. He gave me this incredible feedback one time and he said, look, I see big things for you. And here's what I see for you. Here's the vision. So he started with an inspire kind of flow, which worked really well for me. And it wouldn't necessarily work for everyone. You know, we're all different, different circumstances. For me, that was very, he was very attuned to sort of what was important to me. And he said, one of the things you're going to need to do is you're going to need to figure out how to have a good relationship with this person. Whatever that takes, figure it out. In this case, did he offer me a whole lot of support in how to do it? No, but that actually, and this is where platitudes can fall short. We got to be beware of the guru platitude posting syndrome. It's contextual. In this case, that was the perfect thing to say to me. Right. He knew I was capable of figuring that out. Yeah, you didn't need him. He just needed to tell you, this will hold you back. <laughs> I needed clarity and accountability with some inspirational cinnamon sugar yeah. on top. So I knew what I was going to be, that there was a beautiful future, you know, that he saw, he saw the goodness and capability in me. This was something that was going to prevent that from winning the day and allowing me to be my best self and reach my potential. It was fantastic. I just, I'll never forget the way he communicated. Again, we were working in a very challenging, volatile situation. And, and Terry just handled so many difficult situations with grace, kindness. I'll never forget him. He's a great guy. Great. That's boss. amazing. Can you think of an example? You know, I, I can hear some of the feedback, obviously, that he gave you, you know, when you're talking about some of those difficult situations, any other kind of different memories that come to mind? About Terry specifically, I can think of just there were there were conflict issues while I was there and even after I was there. And I just I I remember thinking there was a dispute that I had with the company after I left. And you know, he was representing the company on the other side. And what's interesting was I was quite upset about something. And as upset as I was, I was never upset with him. He was doing his job. And I knew that he'd be a person in my universe that I'd have a relationship with if I wanted to forever. And that there was a, just a healthy human respect there. And I think that's what so many of us out there are trying to cultivate in our own spheres of influence and work is that actually conflict is an incredible opportunity for growth. Incredible. Absolutely. Sometimes it, it reveals something in me that I need to resolve. It usually does. Sometimes my end result is, okay, I see that it's rooted in something that I'm not willing to live with, but it always reveals if I'm paying attention. And so I think that was the other thing that comes to mind is just his ability to manage himself through conflict in a way that was so dignified. That is fantastic. These are both great stories. And I, I'm hearing kind of that reoccurring theme of they don't forget the human element, right? It seems like that human element stays a priority in the conflict, in the difficult moment, in the 
moment which somebody screws up on the team. Like it, I just hear over and over again. It's like we're staying focused on resolving the conflict, not painting the person with a brush, right? Or making it personal. They knew how to protect that. That's right. I mean, it, it's probably too trite is the word, I think, that you need to figure out how to best leverage what is. <laughs> and to put it in non-jargony speak, accept it, you know, and w- work to change what you can. But, you know, okay, this is the circumstance at this moment. I'm going to make the most of it. It may be less than ideal by a mile or kilometers, depending on where you're at. But, you know, really coming into acceptance and included in that acceptance is that I, I might have some growth opportunity here as well, as dug in as I am about my position or a resentment or, you know, the threat I feel it's possible that I may, this may be a growth opportunity for me if I'm willing to, to look at myself, which is not always easy to do. That's great. And I just have to ask when you say best leverage, what is, are you a Byron Katie fan? I could be, I don't know. You have to look, she wrote a book called loving what is, okay. and that's what I thought you were calling out there. I was like, <laughs> Then like yes, a, I am. Of course. That's right. That's exactly where it came from. She has the same exact philosophy. It's like learning to accept what is and really work with that instead of trying to hope for something that is not currently available. And sometimes conflict has that, you know, it's like we get fixated on wanting something to be different than it is and we can't get past that. And I, I love that. And what's coming to mind is sometimes when I'm, if it's my small self working, I would rather blow it up to get the definitive result and finality of it than deal with the struggle of letting it just be and go on and and give it time for me to grow and and heal and resolve and whatever I need to work through and for whatever other situation or other people to do their own, you know, to do their own process. So yeah, that's that's a really good point. Thank you. That's fantastic. So now if you were to just go to the bosses that did not stand out, let's say, on the list of favorites, I'm curious, what's your experience been there? Like, what are the things that, you know, really didn't work for you? Well, first and foremost is lies. Yep. I mean, that that's just so foundational. It sounds foundational, but everybody in business knows somebody who's done that before. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a standard operating procedure of many, of many, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So it sounds obvious, but it's not yeah. obvious, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe obvious isn't the right word, right? I mean, to the extent that humans are economic animals, you know, we are driven by incentives and there are people who are promoted in spite of, or because of, listen, I, I don't know about you. I've come across far too many situations of executives who were promoted at least once or more times to move them from a place rather than to a place. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. So we, we then put a cherry on, we, oh, well, we can't upset this person, but they're leaving dead bodies behind them. Mm-hmm. So let's move them to another place. And the bigger the organization, the more options you have. So you can spread the toxins around. And so the feedback loop that that person is getting is that they're great. Yeah. It's not only not fair to all the people that come encounter with that person who is not fully realized in their maturity, but that you're robbing them of the ability to have accountability. I recently fired a personal trainer. He was relatively new. I thought that he might have the skills to do it, but he showed up late twice. The first time he showed up late, 
I made it very clear to him that a priority for me was that if I was going to meet him and pay a significant amount of money and time that I expected him to show up early and that I too would show up early and actually warm up and prepare so that we could maximize that, that hour that we had together. Because for me, you know, the exercise is part of my job. It's part of my, you know, performance. And he showed up late a second time and I wasn't, I was not going to talk to him about it. I was not going to, we're not going to have any kind of conversation. You fired yourself. That's what I told him. And he wanted another chance. And there was a reason why it doesn't matter. There's always a reason. reason. Right. There's always a reason. And I said, so now I'm not going to go around the gym and badmouth you, but you deserve early on in your quote unquote entrepreneurial, I'm a trainer mode, you deserve accountability so that you will always remember this day when your client told you you were fired at a bench press (laughs) and you will never forget it. And I doubt you're going to be late again. Right. You, you delivered him a favor, whether he knows it or not. I didn't tell him he was a worthless trainer. I didn't tell him that he was, you know, he had no future. So you're going to do great with other clients and you're going to do great in part because I was honest with you today. And I draw that from experience that I had with leaders like Jan and Terry. So I can't give away what I don't have. And people like that and other friends in my life, people that I have, have taught me what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that kind of message. So you, and you know, like there's gratitude in it, even though it doesn't feel great in the moment. Yeah. He wasn't happy. No, usually most of us aren't when we're getting that tough message, (laughs) but I would agree with you that so many leaders that I talk to remember the tough feedback that they got and they were grateful for it down the road. So that's it. So I go back to lies and, and I think there's other things that we all know and experience, but first and foremost, telling the truth. I think the lies, it's so interesting when you say that because you're even referring to not so much the individual that has the problem with being honest. You're talking about the entire organization that can't be honest with the individual. And I think that's really interesting. if If an organization, in my view, in my experience, if an organization has leaders who lie and leaders who lie and manipulate, but manipulates one thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's tricky. What's manipulation, what's influence, you know, can get to a point where they're binary. That, that's actually one of those things where I can objectively determine if something was a lie. I know because I'm a former lawyer and you can determine whether or not something is a lie. Did they consciously know the truth and say the alternative? And we know from our society that people lie a lot. So if an organization promotes and nurtures leaders who knowingly misrepresent truth about small things, about big things, then I don't need to know. I don't need to know much more data about the company to know what's going to happen eventually. It may take a while, but it's just a matter of time. You're, you are corrupted. It's just a matter of time. That's the only data I need. So to me, it sort of begins and ends with truth. If I'm someone who's not very, if I'm prickly and I'm not very honestly, I can work with someone who's not full of empathy. I I just need them to care at some level enough about me to tell me the truth. I love that. That is good. And you've obviously experienced that in both directions. Oh yeah. Haven't (laughs) we all? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, I can think of so many situations that match up with this. 
And then I, you know, I guess to me, any other wisdom that you would give, like I've got so many leaders who are aspiring to be amazing bosses and they're listening to this show. So tell me, like, do you have words of wisdom for them just as we come to wrap this up? We hear a lot of words like empathy, even feedback is meaningless until you give it a real def. I've described what it means for me in these contexts, but it means nothing unless you're talking about the context of things. So relying on platitudes for leadership is we're just buried in information is not where it's at. It's really so even authenticity, it's like, okay, yes, be authentic, but keep searching for what it means to you. Why, you know, we talk about, you know, Simon Sinek got famous with, you know, asking about your why. And that's really important when it comes to self-awareness in these kinds of conversations, often asking what, not why, can be actually more powerful. And Tasha Yurik, my friend, who's just an amazing practitioner and brilliant author and researcher, has a TED Talk on this, Ask What, Not Why. Fantastic. Recommend watching that. But really get feedback, develop an environment where you have people who will tell you the truth because the higher up people go, the harder it is for them to get the truth. You have to work hard. If, if there's a graph, it's like the higher up I am, the more I have to work to get honest feedback. I have to really convince people that it is truly not only safe, I have to incentivize people to give me. So that means I find people who will give me the truth. I really listen to it. I take it in. I process it. I, it may not be actually valid for me. <laughs> okay. It may be more about them than me, but I take it in and I follow up. And one of the best ways to start learning how to do that is through just the easy, well, the so-called easy one, which is when people help you or giving praise or re how you receive praise. So start with the positive to get more comfortable with that kind of direct dialogue. And then you will build a relationship, number one, built on, you know, it's very hard for people to give praise really, other than, you know, attaboy or, you know, you know, it's like, like deep, genuine, like praise. genuine. Yes. So you practice, what is it that you appreciate about a particular colleague of yours specifically and why, and what did it mean to you? And go that second level to say, Hey, Christine, I want to explain to you what it meant when you stepped in for me at that meeting last week. I noticed that you changed the presentation for the better that you gave. I gave you that template and here's the feedback I got from other people. And this is what it means to me and frankly to us at this point where we can move forward, like giving that full and then your job as a leader is to be able to take it mm -hmm. and not That's deflect. probably equally as hard. Yes. So both <laughs> of us have this role. So whatever role you're in receiving or giving, go all in on it. That's an opportunity to get comfortable having direct dialogue that's open and it's vulnerable to do that. Then when you and I have an issue that we need to resolve between us, guess what foundation we're going to have? Right. Rock solid. Yeah. Like rock solid. It's, I'm still going to be nervous. That just shows I care, but I'm going to be able to either receive that criticism from you or I'm going to be able to deliver a message that's hard to deliver. And with more trust that you're going to, you're going to know that I'm not attacking you as a person. That's, that's what we got to do in every organization, in every community at the government level is facilitate number one, people who are willing to do that work into those leadership roles and then providing the incentives and support for them to do that difficult 
stuff. Listen, that was so good that I'm going to wrap right there. I think you gave everybody some really amazing feedback there. That's like a mic drop moment. So I'm not going to mess with it too much. (laughs) That's right. Don't drop your mic though. Don't drop your mic. Thank you, Matt. That was amazing and so insightful. And I have a feeling lots of people are going to be thinking about the what, not the why. Thinking a little bit about their own authenticity. I, I loved how you talked about shame and shameless leadership. I think that's a brilliant idea for so many of us to think about. And then this last but not least, you know, just kind of how you build a foundation of trust. um, So you can have real conversation, real feedback, and kind of what that really means. So loved it. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. It's it's been just a pleasure to spend some time with you today. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.